It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Please raise your right hand and repeat after me. I, Donald John Trump, do solemnly swear. I, Donald John Trump. It was a dreary cold day in January, and the clocks were striking 13. The office of President of the United States. This is Intercepted. This was the largest audience to ever witness an inauguration, period. Alternative facts to that, but the point remains that there is only America first. America first. I'm Jeremy Scahill coming to you from the offices of The Intercept in New York City. And I want to welcome you all to our first episode of our new weekly podcast, Intercepted. Uh, Now, when Glenn Greenwald, Laura Poitras, and I started The Intercept, our idea was to build an adversarial, independent news organization that would bring accountability to very powerful institutions and people. We are closing the prison at Guantanamo. We are reforming military commissions, and we will pursue a new legal regime to detain terrorists. We are declassifying more information and embracing more oversight of our actions. And we're narrowing our use of the state secrets privilege. Uh, And when we started The Intercept, Barack Obama was the president. This was a guy who uh, ran on a campaign to be the most uh, transformative president uh, in history, to have the most transparent uh, administration in history. And when this Nobel Peace Prize winner started bombing countries, initiating new covert wars and overt wars, continuing some of uh, Bush's wars, we held him accountable. We were aggressive, we were nonpartisan, and we were fiercely independent in our reporting. Database is okay, and watch list is okay, and surveillance is okay. If you don't mind, I wanna be, I wanna surveil, I want surveillance. Today, we have a billionaire reality TV star who has pledged to operate the United States from a position of power where he believes in America first policies. Donald Trump pledged to bring back torture. He pledged to fill Guantanamo back up again. Our mission at The Intercept has never been more urgent than it is right now. The reproductive rights of women the liberty of Muslims, the humanity of African-Americans who are facing down against paramilitarized police forces and police brutality and police killings. All of this, all of these people, all of these communities, all of these issues are in the crosshairs. Each week on the show, we are going to break down the most urgent developments with the Trump administration. And we're not just going to hold the Republicans, Trump, and the White House accountable we're also going to go after the Democrats. We're going to go after media organizations and journalists who are not doing their jobs. So to kick off our first show, I'm joined by our editor-in-chief at The Intercept, Betsy Reed. 
and by my fellow Intercept co-founder, Glenn Greenwald, who is joining us from an undisclosed location in Rio. Well, there is a tremendous amount to talk about, even though Donald Trump's administration is just days old. Uh, I want to start with you, Betsy. What's your take on this moment that we're in right now, the events of the past week? There's been a lot of attention paid to uh, Trump's relationship with the press. You had Sean Spicer uh, and his attacks on the media and also his you know, non-press conference. You know, It seems to be right now what mo- a lot of media organizations are fixated on. Well, I mean, on, on one level, I think it's like completely understandable that the media is freaking out. Uh, because it really is truly shocking what happened in the White House briefing room and and Sean Spicer, what he said. I mean, just like the bald-faced lies. Um, I I think the media has an obligation to call them out and correct them and confront them. Um, There's no question about that. But at the same time, it's like I do worry that we're in this sort of cycle of of self-obsession in the media, that the whole news cycle is about the news um, when, in fact, Trump, you know, meanwhile, reinstated the global gag rule, which is bringing us back to the Reagan era in terms of, um, you know, uh, blocking funds to um, any health organizations in other countries that provide abortion services. So, I mean, did George Bush have that also, George W. Bush? Yes. Um, Clinton had rescinded it after Reagan put it in place and then George W. put it back in and then Obama rescinded it. Um, so, I mean, obviously, it's it's important for the media to call Trump out when he lies. But at the same time, we can't l- like lose sight of the very real sort of and rapid policy moves they're making. Also, what they're doing across the board in terms of climate, just completely, you know, dismantling all of Obama's initiatives is incredibly important. And it's been great, actually, how that group of hackers has been going into like systematically uh, retrieve and preserve the, the, the trove of climate data that um, could possibly be eradic- eradicated. Um, I, I also think it was, it was, it's fascinating the way that the whole debate, at least on the official talk shows uh, you know, this past week, uh, was all about the kind of numbers debate where, you know, Trump is saying it was the, you know, there were a million, million and a half people there. Spicer then comes in and uh, at his first official presence in front of the press, uh, focuses the whole thing on on the number of people that were at Trump's inauguration and how historic it was. And um, but, you know, I, I want to back up a second and say regarding this media question, you know, when 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 it became clear that Trump was going to be the president, I started going back and reading some of the primary source material of uh, officials of the National Socialist Party in Germany, of the Nazi Party in, in Germany, particularly the diaries of Joseph Goebbels, who was Hitler's minister of propaganda. And what's interesting, if you read uh, Goebbels' writings, they understood the power of the moving image at the time, You know what, would, what was becoming television and of radio. And they really were the first regime in the world to really master the use of this emerging medium. And I think there's a, a, a parallel to what we're seeing with Trump and Twitter. Trump is basically sending this message. Uh, everything is fake news that you don't read on my Twitter feed. And at the same time, you have this discussion. Are they going to kick the White House press corps out of the White House, maybe move them to the old executive office building? What is the Trump's relationship with the news media going to look like? Steve Bannon, who ran Breitbart News, uh, is a very sophisticated so-called alt-right uh, propagandist. At the same time, though, I'm not going to hold up Chuck Todd as some beacon of the free press, which he's trying to make himself out to be. I mean, these people 
uh, were the most bankrupt, soulless, uh, you know, unindependent journalists for so many years. Those journalists that would sit there, those media personalities that would sit there in the White House uh, press room, never asking real questions. I mean, to to me, it's kind of a double whammy. Uh, You've got terrible, almost worthless sometimes uh, corporate news organizations with a track record of knowing so little about so much. And then you have this authoritarian vibe that is now being unleashed on the news media in this organization. You look at MSNBC, it's basically like, uh, you know, they're relitigating the Cold War. They'll take any bit of unverified or unverifiable bullshit uh, about the Russian hack and slap it up there as breaking news and never correct the record once it's once it's done. I mean, this is, I think, you know, the, has been the problem for two months now or however long it's been since the election, which is everybody has reacted in a very kind of extreme way, very um, impulsively with with a lot of emotion, which, as Betsy said earlier, is extremely understandable because there's a lot of menacing things and, and seriously um, scary possibilities on the horizon. At the same time, just reacting reflexively is not really a strategy. I mean, whatever else you want to say about the whole Trump operation, they do have a consistent message. They do have a, a, a set of tactics that they use over and over. And so I think to effectively counter that, um, some thinking has to be done, some breathing, some some cogency needs to emerge that I think has really been lacking among Democrats, among the media, among just the entire political establishment that still has not quite found their footing in terms of how to respond. And I'm hoping that this uh, protest, this march over the weekend will be centering in that way because I think it was the first sort of emboldening and, and empowering event. It made people feel like they weren't lost, like they had a kind of voice. And and I'm hoping that there's some structured, thoughtful way that these institutions that want to oppose Trump set out about to do it rather than just replicating his insanity and unhinged craziness and turning everything into a circus, which I think only redounds to his benefit, as understandable as that reaction might be. I, I agree with you, but um, I just wonder if both of you aren't giving Trump a little too much credit. I mean, do you really think that they're that competent? Are they? Is this all I, part I, of I don't the think, plan? I don't think Trump is. I think. I think. I mean, like, if, if you listen to that inaugural address, that was classic Steve Bannon, which was the message that they ultimately won on. That's the message that they won the Rust Belt on, which was. Um, your jobs have been shipped overseas. The D.C. establishment only cares about billionaires. They've forgotten about you. You're the forgotten people. And we're going to respond and do things for you. We're going to save your jobs. We're going to make you safe. We're promising you things that you care about in your life. That may be a simplistic message. It may be a deceitful one, but it is a message. Um, and it's one that they tap into consistently. I don't think because Trump is some genius Machiavellian, but I think there are people who are managing him who have an idea of what they're doing. And if you want to beat that message, there needs to be a counter message beyond, oh, my God, there are red spies under your bed and and Putin is is Trump's boyfriend. And (laughs) I don't think there has been that much of a message yet that has been cultivated. Um, You see Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders sort of trying to urge Democrats to start to focus on one. But I don't think there has been one. And I don't think there's been a media strategy either for how to deal with this new world beyond just screaming, you're a liar, you're a liar, back and forth over and over, which I think most people are just going to end up tuning out and writing everything off and assuming nothing can be resolved, which is, I think, what the Trump White House wants most. So, yes, I mean, I do. Of course, Trump is an inept inept idiot. He's a clown. He has some talent in entertainment, but 
No, he's not some genius, but they do have, his circle has a set of messaging that has proven effective among a certain faction. And I don't think that should be ignored. Well, I mean, I mean, I will say, first of all, they won. And uh, and I think that, that not you, the popular you, vote. well, they won the election in the United States and they they did what they needed to do. Uh, to achieve their mission, which was to take power in this country. So, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I, I think Trump is a kind of devastating cocktail of incredible arrogance, um, a, a a very acute uh, sense of uh, how many people in this country are filled with the kind of bigotry, ignorance, and hate that makes his uh, message resonate, uh, and also a an authoritarian uh, by personality. Everything we've heard about this guy, both publicly and privately, indicates that he is a fierce authoritarian. But at the same time, who's winning the battle in the court of public opinion, Trump or the news organizations? He's forcing them to respond to his news agenda based on whatever the hell he tweets on any given day. He goes to the CIA with his own ready-made crowd to cheer, although some CIA people there did cheer as well, which is, you know, there's a very serious, dark part of what happened there at the CIA, which is that I think there are elements in the CIA uh, that view the kind of Phoenix program return as a good thing, the assassination program in Vietnam, that like Quinto Pro, the FBI counterintelligence program that infiltrated uh, dissident groups. Um, But I, I, I don't think we should underestimate uh, Trump's ability to understand the moment that he's in, in terms of pushing his own uh, agenda forward. I, I, I do think it would be a mistake to simply write him off as the the Cheeto in chief or this buffoon that somehow, you know, people did that with Bush too. Bush did eight years of pretty substantial damage when everyone thought he was just batting yarn in a back room it's while true, Dick Cheney was running managed the show. To, I mean, it's only, he's only managed to fill like a tiny sliver of the, the, um, positions that he needs to. I mean, he, you know, he is bumbling along. I, I, I don't deny no, a, basic incomp- a basic level of incompetence, but let's be clear, part, part, they're going to, they're outsourcing some of that to lobbyists now that are going to fill, they're outsourcing it. So they're going to fill, I wouldn't be surprised if he got laborers from China to start filling some of the, um, no, but, but Trump is, uh, is also because of general Mike Flynn, his national security advisor, they're going to shrink the size of the intentionally of the national security council. And, and they are going to be doing a, a gutting of uh, the people that they consider not loyal enough within the national security apparatus. And I think that is causing a lot of concern in the intelligence community. They're going to they're, they're go for the political purge. I think they're going to, I mean, I think anything, if anything is consistent, it's that Trump is highly retaliatory. Is that whenever he perceives that he's been attacked, he lashes back. And I think that's going to define everything about the administration. Well, and Glenn, you know, the, the we had the, um, you know, Trump uh, now is 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 getting the United States out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, which, you know, a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters were also against these uh, so-called free trade uh, global uh, uh, arrangements that the United States is in, NAFTA, GATT, uh, now TPP. What's what's your read on this? Because I've seen a lot of Democrats now saying, oh, this is this is a win for China and puts America last. I mean, I think this presents the huge question that Betsy was just alluding to earlier, which is, you know, these issues, these 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 trends are really kind of they're they're not just American, they're they're international, they're really global. I mean, there was an article in the New York Times, it's actually quite good this weekend, 
about the French elections and how the left is dead in France. And, you know, it's a competition between Marie Le Pen, who's the Trump candidate and a sort of more establishment right-wing candidate. In the UK, the left is dead. Corbyn is, you know, 30 points behind Theresa May and all the polls. And throughout Europe, you're seeing working class voters who have traditionally supported the left because of unions and because of social programs, abandoning them on social grounds, but also economic grounds, thinking their jobs have been sent overseas and they are the losers in globalization, returning to this nationalistic message. And TPP is the perfect example of this, um, which is just yet another horrible trade deal that Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton were behind. She said, you know, ultimately for the campaign that she would unravel it or at least fix it but she was everyone knew she was actually for it john mccain came out today and said trump's making a mistake but trump is out there saying no more of these trade deals that are sending your jobs away and bernie sanders is saying if we're going to be democrats we have to side with the people who are worried about their economic future and if democrats instead take the other route which is because trump's doing it we're going to oppose it we're going to try and xenophobically make people worried about how this is strengthening china um say that these trade deals are actually good when everyone knows they're just good for wall street i think it's only going to worsen this trend it's going to make democrats feel like they're being clever because they're attacking trump from the nationalistic or the militaristic and xenophobic right but i think it's just going to exacerbate this impression that the democrats are the party that only cares about corporate American coastal elites. And that is the biggest problem that I think has existed thus far. And I don't see Democrats doing much to, I don't know, to confront that or to examine it or to figure out how to change that. Um, And that's why I say I think Bernie Sanders is and Elizabeth Warren is, but not much else. Yeah. And I mean, if Democrats, if like the the mainstream of the Democratic Party takes that line and and attacks him on TPP, um, unlike Bernie Sanders, it's also going to drive a massive wedge into the progressive coalition that we just saw kind of come together. It's an incredibly moving way. I mean, that march, the women's march, people, some some people sort of sniped about how it was just about women, but actually it was very inclusive and, and broad-based and brought in any number of constituencies and groups and races and, and, and everything. And, um, and and also it was very sort of grassroots in in the whole spirit of it. But if you have, you know, this corporate democratic elite, um, you know, attach itself to this the pro, the pro free trade agenda, you're just going to completely gut um, the potential, the populist, the real authentic populist potential of that movement that we saw. Right. And, and you know, I was in the streets for, for both uh, the day of the inauguration, the protests there, and then also for the uh, the Women's March. And and w- one thing that I found interesting to co- contrasting the, the vibe of that march uh, on Saturday uh, at the, w- the Women's March with the first anti-Trump demonstrations, big ones like in New York and elsewhere, there were a lot more people with the, you know, I'm still with her signs, the not my president, focusing on the issue of the, you know, the fact that Hillary Clinton won the popular vote. You did see some of that uh, in the in the streets this weekend, but it was in the dramatic minority. Uh, there were a lot of people that were there on issues of uh, women's reproductive uh, uh, rights, uh, on issues of, um, uh, of uh, climate change, uh, racial justice issues. Indigenous rights, a uh, huge contingent of indigenous women uh, were there, uh, some of them uh, tribal figures uh, from uh, the communities affected by the Dakota Access Pipeline. I, I think really the, you know, the elites within the Democratic Party, uh, the, it's, it's the weakest position they've been at in a very long time. And, and one thing that I've noticed, for instance, is like the Democratic Socialists of America, DSA, uh, 
they really have stepped up their organizing. A lot of young people That's are true. mobilizing. I, I noticed it. them too. Bernie Sanders. They're I, everywhere. Yeah, yeah. They're Bernie, everywhere. Bernie Sanders did the most substantial damage to the campaign to demonize the word socialism in generation, decades in this country. And so I think that that uh, people who are fed up with the establishment Democratic Party have their best shot in years to actually go to town, to actually mobilize and organize. And rather than it feeling like this dark, ominous era is upon us, I came away from the events, uh, Trump's speech aside, of inauguration weekend in Washington, D.C., feeling like many people are fired up and it's not about let's get Hillary back into you know into the race in four years. It was what are we going to do right now? Yeah, and I think some of the most exciting movements now are actually focused not on Washington, but on like sanctuary cities, you know, where people can actually step up and do something to protect the people who are going to be victimized most harshly by Trump's policies. Yeah, my last thought is is just to follow up on that and say that I think this is the silver lining of of the Trump debacle, the Trump disaster, which is that it does have the potential to recreate for the first time this kind of culture of protest and activism and empowerment, which is really potent when it's galvanized the right way and that has been missing certainly since 9-11 when you know, Washington just gained all this power and the population kind of got cowed into this mix of patriotism and bullying. Um, and I think that this was this first step that although for me, it wasn't perfect. Um, the fact that it was organic and just very spontaneous and people driven, um, I think is actually one of the first positive, inspiring things that have happened in many months in U.S. politics, certainly since the election. I mean, I obviously agree. And, you know, it was impossible not to be moved when you're a part of those crowds. Um, and But I I do think that the, the main purpose of those marches was sort of solidarity building and, you know, just trying to restore our our unbelievably depressed morale <laughs> at this moment. Um, and I think it really served its purpose well there. I don't think that the marches were particularly successful in kind of convincing anyone else who doesn't already agree with everybody who's in the street that that like there's something wrong with Trump. Um, and in fact, you saw all over the media, the so- social media networks, um, a lot of Trump supporters were kind of complaining, what are they doing? What are these women complaining about? You know, the fact that there wasn't a clear set of demands and clear message actually made it look to those people who are looking at it from the outside like it, it was really just about, you know, being... Uh, upset that we didn't get our way and um, stamping our feet that we didn't get our way in the election. That's how it's perceived. I'm not saying that's legitimate, but, you know, I do think we have to think going forward in a, in a broader strategic way about how we can kind of build something that will grow the ranks of this movement rather than just kind of making ourselves feel better, which is is important. I don't mean to diminish the importance of that. <laughs> right. And I think I, I mean, but there is a there's a clear contrast. And, and some of this is generational um, and some of it is racial and um, and some of it is class. But there is a huge divide between the, you know, ever aging leadership of the Democratic Party on Capitol Hill and the people that are at the forefront of mobilizing in new ways, whether it's young black activists or it's indigenous activists. And I do think there was education happening in the streets because I think uh, the, the diversity that was present there did internal education uh, for a lot of people about the issues of others and what they find important. And 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 but I would say contrast that you know that that kind of vibe with uh, stale gray Washington and look at who votes to confirm 
all of these horrid people that Trump has put up in his cabinet. Um, those people should be held accountable for voting for pro-torture Mike Pompeo, pro-privatization of schools Betsy DeVos, uh, and the list goes on and on and on from there, climate change deniers, et cetera. Uh, politicians who, who, who play the game of, well, this is just how politics work and we have to give him a chance, they're not actually part of resisting much of anything any more than someone hosting a show on MSNBC as part of the resistance because they put forward this, you know, Russia's hiding behind every corner in our society. Um, well, I want to thank my colleagues, Betsy Reed and Glenn Greenwald for joining us. Thanks, Jeremy. Thank you. The weekend of Trump's inauguration, uh, I was in the streets both on the day of the inauguration as well as on Saturday uh, during the massive uh, women's march. And I was uh, joined by uh, my friend Naomi Klein, who is a writer, an author, uh, and a journalist. It's, I think it's wonderful that the first mass action is a women's march, and you have all these sort of ridiculous debates of like, why isn't it an everyone march? And it's like, well, I mean, I think it's great that this debate is being aired, right? Because we have to understand that, yes, they're coming for everyone, and everyone's going to be impacted, but everybody is not going to be impacted in the same way. There are specificities here. There are people who are way more vulnerable. And we can't have the attitude that we only focus on our issue because that is, will be way too weak, right? Popular vote! We are the popular vote! I've been hearing sort of a worrying message of kind of like, it's so outrageous, the hypocrisies are so intense that obviously people are going to see this. You know, Trump ran as a champion of the working man and he's going to stand up to the corruption and billionaires in Washington and then just fills, you know, his, his, his administration with them. And there's, there's like some people seem to be expecting that there's going to be a sort of a spontaneous revolt of Trump's base. And you know, I, 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 what scares me is that as the economic facade falls away, they're going to, the, the racism, the, the sort of weaponizing of race and the weaponizing of gender becomes all the more important because that's all they have to offer, right? The economic stuff was obviously a sham, um, but they're going to they're gonna feed that to their base it, to make sure they don't lose them. What we need to understand is how misogyny um, and racism are used to advance this agenda. This is what a feminist looks like! Tell me what a feminist looks like! This is what a feminist looks like! Hatred of women is a is a bright thread running through this administration. It's not incidental, you know? Um, there are key figures are surrounding Trump and Trump himself who've been accused of sexual assault, abuse of their partners, of people around them. I mean, it's an epidemic, right? I mean, you think about the people who aren't, you know, we forget about, like Roger Ailes, who's there in the background, right, who turned his whole workplace, right. you know, into yeah. God, God. I mean, this is like the White House's yeah. frat house. I mean, it is so disgusting. Um, so let's, that's a good reason to march. That was Naomi Klein, journalist, author, activist at the Women's March on Washington. In a minute, I'm going to be chatting with the legendary journalist Cy Hirsch. And Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? 
and some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And what he has to say about Trump may surprise you. In trying to dissect what's happening in in the world of Donald Trump with relation to the CIA, I thought it would be really fascinating to sit down with the legendary investigative journalist Seymour Hersh, who, of course, is a Pulitzer Prize winner. He broke the story of the My Lai massacre during the war in uh, Vietnam. He broke the Abu Ghraib uh, torture story. Uh, he did several hard-hitting investigative pieces when the Bush administration came into power um, about the way that they were expanding assassination operations. And for those of you who are not entirely familiar with Cy Hersh's uh, uh, career, in the 1970s, when Gerald Ford was president— After the impeachment and then resignation of Richard Nixon, Cy Hirsch, who at the time was a reporter for The New York Times, had revealed the fact that the CIA was operating domestically and was engaged in illegal spying. And Dick Cheney, while he was in the Ford administration in the 1970s, tried to get the FBI to go after Cy Hirsch. In fact, he wanted Cy Hirsch to be indicted for espionage. Sound familiar? We are now in a situation where we just had a Democratic president who presided over a war on whistleblowers, which in many ways is a war against a free press, where the charge of espionage was used to go after people who were whistleblowers. Well, this week, I went over to Sai's house, and we sat down in his kitchen. And it wasn't so much an interview. It was more that I wanted to shoot the shit with this incredible veteran reporter who has faced down against authoritarian administrations before in what is really a conversation between two journalists. I began by asking Cy to give me his assessment of what Trump's election and his emerging administration, what we should make of it. I can play it. I can play high end or low end. Let me give you the, 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 the high end. Um, uh, he's a circuit breaker. You know, here we are, we've got, uh, we've had, I think you can say for the past three or four decades, the oligarchs have been running everything. And these guys are simply cutting out the middlemen, those little greedy congressmen and senators with who want their hands out. So they're just cutting out the middlemen. And he's naming um, people to to cabinet jobs that have one thing in common. Uh, They're all very, very rich, multimillionaires. This is, they're dumb, their career is over. They're not using... A, they're not going to use the the uh, uh, the cabinet job they have to run for president for or, or run for anything for. So this, they're in a way, there's no reason for them to disagree with the boss. I mean, not to disagree with the boss. They have nothing to lose. You could argue that, 
and that um, he might have a new relationship with uh, Putin. Uh, that's the high end. <laughs> um, uh, I think increasingly, as, as you look at it, I mean, that's, that's not going to be the reality. But the idea of somebody, you know, uh, breaking things away and, you know, uh, and uh, raising grave doubts about the viability of the party system, particularly the Democratic Party, uh, not a bad idea. And that, that's something you could, we can build on that in, in the future, but it, we have to figure out what to do in the next few years. So there's a high-end thing where you can say, he's such an outlier that who knows what's going to happen. Um, but, you know, um, and then you can do the other side, you know. I don't tell you what history, what, you know, you have to go back into the 30s, and the first thing you do is destroy the media. And what she can do, he's going to intimidate them. And then once you do the media, and, and uh, there's going to be, I can tell you my friends on the inside have already told me there's going to be a major increase in surveillance. If you don't have signal, you better get signal. If you don't have one of those devices that makes it very difficult for people to track you when you're, you're talking going. about the end to end encrypted apps like signal. And yeah. Well, things. signal's one of the better ones yeah, yeah. that they really can't do much with. I mean, it, it's uh, Snowden's means of communication. And so there's, and there's also devices you can get that prevent you from being tracked. And there's also devices that can detect malware. So all that's, there's, there's a downside to it. Uh, I understand that um, they're gonna be doing some purging, people on the inside who are suspect. Um, and I'm more than just suspect left, suspect as being uh, Islamist. I mean, really far out stuff, really. There's stuff like that going on. I don't think the notion of democracy is ever going to be as tested as it's going to be now. Well, and, and you know, Trump on the day after his inauguration goes to the CIA and, and gives that speech in front of the wall of the stars of the fallen agents. What did you make of him? Well, and he, he, he was mostly obsessed with the size of his crowd, but what did you make of that first meeting, uh, official meeting at the CIA? I, I can't begin to tell you. Well, I, he's obviously going to remake the CIA. And he's got some basis for thinking that there was, a, you know, I mean, um, I, the case... Um, uh, I, I don't want to get into too much about what I'm reporting, but I can tell you the case about Russian. Uh, there, there is a much simpler explanation for what happened. The real thing I want to ask you about here is, does Trump have a point when he says that these were leaks intended to undermine his credibility and damage him that came sure. from the CIA or other parts of the intelligence community? No question. I mean, you, you see Brennan speaking out, even now that he's out of office, still speaking out and... and you know, that's sort of untold. We, we've never seen that before. So well, Brennan's primary line, you know, primary thing that he he that he claims he's speaking out about is, is Trump's use of the word Nazis to t describe uh, people in the intelligence community. But before that, he was speaking out. But, you know, he look, the, op the road is open for alternative journalism in a way that it hasn't been in a long time. Because uh, I don't... I don't think... Uh, my, my view of what the way the major media treated the, 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 the thing with the, um, the, the, the Russian thing and the Putin wiretap and the hacking is they were hectoring. They, weren't, they were just using it to hector, hector. They didn't do reporting. And the real story was the extent to which the White House uh, was going and permitting this kind of stuff to go and permitting the agency to go public with assessments that there were assessment. What does an assessment mean? It's not a, it's not a national intelligence estimate. If you had a real estimate, you would have had, you would have had five or six dissents. People saying, I, cause I can tell you right now, at one time they said 17 agencies all agreed. Oh really? The Coast Guard and the Air Force, they all agreed on that. You know, it just, and it was outrageous. 
and nobody did that story. Well, even in their own even in their own summary that they released, the NSA's level of confidence, as reported in that, was a full degree lower uh, than that of Clapper and and his his crowd. And on what issue? An assessment is simply an opinion. It's not if they had a fact, they'd give you a, an assessment. Is just that it's an asses- it's a belief. Well, I mean, what how what how do you think journalists should be operating? Right now, given the fact that the first White House press briefing by Sean Spicer, no questions uh, allowed, leaves the room, and the fact that they're talking about ejecting them from the from the White House, sticking them in the old executive building, uh, but also just the open fuck you to the press that that we hear every single day. You know, it's interesting because the press is an easy target. We always are. Everybody wants to hate us, like lawyers. You know, all the lawyer jokes. But the truth is. Um, uh, and this is this was a campaign theme he had about the press. And there was a significant percentage of the people don't want to believe the press. But the truth is, the First Amendment is an amazing thing. And if if you start trampling the way they, they I hope they don't do it that way. I should be very counterproductive. Um, um, he'll be in trouble. What, what do you make of, tr- of, of, of what we know about the emerging relationship between Trump and the CIA uh, based on who he has around him? the kinds of policies that, that they've advocated and, and the personality we see, you know, Trump embody. What, what is Trump's CIA going to look like? Oh, of course, who knows? I mean, anybody, it's, you know, the real answer is, you know, how the hell do I know? But, you know. Well, but, but, but let's remember, too, Trump said, I, want, uh, I love waterboarding. He wants to stuff Guantanamo back up again. Right. Uh, I mean, you know, is that a, just a reality TV showman saying these things? I don't know. He also said he was going to do this, 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 this on his first day in office. He didn't do it. You know, I don't know. Look, we had a Democratic president for eight years that couldn't, you know, every day. Um, he did what? He escalated in Afghanistan? You know, again, you say, how are we doing there? How's it going? How's the war in terror going now? Since we started, how's it been going for 16 years? Are, are, are there fewer opposition guys? How's it going? He may he may surprise us and look at it and say, whoa, but I don't think so. But you got to give him, uh, I'm willing to look at it because as I said, circuit breaker is the word. This is, we've never had anything like this before, but I wish you were, I wish you were a little different. Um, well, I've, I've always thought that there will come a point where Trump will decide, I'm just going to, uh, I'm going to hand the running of the, of the White House over to my sons and I'm going to go back to doing the, I mean, I, I'm not even sure the guy understands anything about the Constitution, but, um, <laughs> but I, but I, I do, I, I mean, I do think that both the combination of Pence's record and, and Trump, what we see as Trump's nature, I do think, I think you're right to say we don't know what the fuck's going to happen, but uh, we, we've seen some pretty bad indicators from the telegraphing here that they, you know, Trump does seem to want to bring back some of the worst components of the Bush-Cheney apparatus, combined with the fact that Mr. Transformative Nobel Peace Prize winning constitutional law scholar Obama basically sold liberals on the idea that we can whack people around the world, that drones are good, that we can engage in all of these little twilight wars, covert operations. Obama cleaned up a lot of the Cheney doctrine for his own people. How dare you attack him? How dare you? You're right about him. The Foreign Service, he did not change the basic structure. He didn't get rid of what I think this two days in the office, his first executive action was to say, I'm going to I'm going to shut down Guantanamo. I, I, but I do think that it's possible Trump will try to transfer some of the people that Obama had prosecuted through the civil court system in this country on terrorism charges down to Gitmo. And I'm hearing that concern from the lawyers that represent uh, prisoners at Gitmo. What are we doing in this country? What the hell? Where are we going? I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's, uh, look, it's good for you. 
you 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 you're 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 intensely involved in in a in a news service that's going to get much more attention now. I I'm watching it more and more and more and more, and I'm 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 not alone. It's good for you guys. Don't knock it. You know, a little adversity, a little end of a democracy, you know, and um, just uh, you know. Communicate with signal. That's all. But I, I do. I mean, I will. I mean, I, I know what you're saying, but I also I, I am really um, concerned about this surveillance stuff. I'm concerned that there's a. That's a, the a, word. No, that's the word. That's the word. I was hoping you would bring up. That's surveillance. The, yes, that's going to be the real issue. Well. I mean, the, the, but don't, I mean, don't go over the top. doesn't mean you, you don't do what you do. No, 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 no. But that's no. the word. What I'm saying though, is that just to give you an example, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. We focus a lot on the NSA and the NSA's collection abilities, the ability to get into people's data, their phones, their computers, et cetera. Even now our smart appliances, your refrigerator, what have you. Um, the DEA, for instance, Drug Enforcement Agency, is one of the most pathological violators of privacy and uh, flagrant violation of the law and the Constitution. They, these guys don't care about warrants, etc. They'll use stuff that's supposed to be all close held, no access for use in domestic operations. DEA forever has been uh, tapping into systems that are meant for foreign espionage stuff, have nothing to do with what they're doing uh, inside the U.S. or even in outside of the U.S. in some cases. Uh, with someone like Trump, though, uh, at, at the helm, you know, it's, I mean, Obama, Obama allowed so much of this stuff to go on, maybe permitted or authorized some of it, maybe just look the other way. But with, with Trump and some of the people that he has uh, and, and his really thin-skinned um, ability to respond to criticism uh, or to take criticism, I'm concerned that they're going to use this stuff as a, a domestic weapon, the surveillance stuff as a domestic weapon. I mean, look, I, I know I mentioned it in the book Blackwater about uh, what the FBI and, and CIA wanted to do to you, uh, well, you know, well, breaking it, going after you, fabricating stuff, breaking in. The, 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 you know, our phones, our computers are the digital equivalent of breaking into your files now. I'll, I'll, Except not all of your medical records and everything else are on that and your texts with your girlfriend or whoever. Well, to that, I normally would say boo-hoo. Okay, that's the price of life. Hold on a second. I'll match you, though. I'll match you one. I'll tell you one. I have reason to believe that when Gonzalez was attorney general. Alberto Gonzalez. Yes, in, 60, in 2005, maybe for a year or two. There were cases in which there was tough cases of people we didn't like, people we thought that could maybe be having some connection to a money ring, you know, theoretically drugs or terrorism, and they, they didn't have the case. And so NSA has everything. And so there were cases in which they went hunting. They, they got the NSA to pull out some months worth of Gmails or phone conversations of a, of a guy that they're trying to indict. And they found a conversation. They went to the person that had the conversation, pretended they had a confidential informant. This is what DEA does all the time. I had a confidential informant. They call it parallel construction. And turned a witness that they didn't have until they went and looked at it. Now there you're really talking. Then you're not, now you know, we can have the Fourth Amendment violation. We got the first, now we're talking about the Fifth Amendment, the right to self-defense. Zowie, zowie. So anything's possible. Anything's possible. So we're in a new world. It's and it's a new paradigm, I guess. You know, but um, 
Well, they use it like a time. I mean, what you're saying, and this is something that we've seen borne out, not just in the Snowden docs, but also from people who've worked on these programs, uh, the passive collection of all this data you know, mo the vast majority of people, no one's ever going to look at that. No one even care. No one's going to care what phone call you had or email you had. When you show up on the radar of the right person or wrong person, depending on how you look at it, they can go back, and it's like a time machine. Well, we know that, right? So, uh, with with Obama, we saw how that was used globally within the United States. The combination of that platform with what we see of of Trump's personality, I'm just saying, I'm concerned that we're gonna see a sort of modern version of, of uh, you know, the enemies list that Nixon, uh, you know, had running and Hoover type shit. But maybe it's, you know, look, I'm, I, you, know, I'm, I, you know, I'm not Little Mary Sunshine. This is not a Little Mary Sunshine conversation. But Trump also feels victimized by uh, leaks and secondhand that stuff about him and, and the hotels and, you know, that stuff that, you know, whether... The golden shower Whatever stuff, that stuff. Yeah. He, feel, he must feel very victimized by that side of security. And, uh, you know, there's nothing like somebody who, who's been victimized about maybe, maybe, maybe there's a chance he won't want it. <laughs> Why not? Him personally, Cy? Okay, maybe. I, I, look, he's got some gangsters that are that are going to become very prominent uh, in the in the corridors of some of these intelligence agencies. I, was any anybody more of a gangster than some of the leading people who conducted the wars we had? We had gangsters all of our life in our society, and they, they, some of them were senators, and some of them were you know secretaries of defense, were some murderous murderous people. So I'm I'm not I'm not making a case. I'm just saying I, I hear what you're saying. I worry. I'm really worried. <laughs> I have to be really worried. I, I was joking. You know, I was joking, saying that you know that all the marchers in the world aren't going to move him out of office. Um, but let's just see. I mean, Boredom might though. Well, let's just see. Yeah. Let's just see. You never know. You never know about things, and there's some things. Look, I would love to be wrong about all of this stuff. So well, I, I, I don't have I, to be wrong. You just be wrong about a few things that, that you know. That just be wrong about that he may see the world in a business sense. And um, uh, look, God, uh, I was appalled by the by the appointments on the cabinet. Just appalled. I mean, what, what? But you don't know. I mean, you don't know. I mean, there's not much. I don't think. But but what's your what, what do you, what's your advice to journalists? What should journalists be doing during this time? I don't mean me. I just mean in general. Like, what do you what what do you think the news organizations? You said before, you get up and fucking you know leave the room. What? How should journalists they're cover not, this administration? They're not going to do that. I know they won't. But how how do you think journalists should cover this administration? Um, they should not let them bully them. They should not be bullied by a, a press secretary who behaves so egregiously in a way that's so contumacious as he did. They should not accept it. They should not accept it. They should make it plain. And if if if, if he wants to send them off to the executive office building or into the State Department or on the street, just go, and and minimize the reporting. Except be there to nail everything he does that, 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 that doesn't live up to his own words. You're still, you still have the press. He's not going to take the press away from you. Uh, well, he'll just go out, he goes on Twitter and just says, it's all lies. And you, you, I mean, he could, he could be sitting in the room with us and say, we're actually sitting on a spaceship on Mars right now. And you and I say, no, we're sitting in Cy Hirsch's house. Uh, and, and he would say, no, you're not. And we said, well, we're videotaping this. Everyone's going to see it. And he would say, well, that's fake news. But they do enough about it. The, the press, the trouble is he's got, you know, it's, we've got a different press these days and it's changed so much. But, um, you, but don't you think that we've crossed some sort of a, we, we've, we have crossed some sort of into some different dimension now with the sort of post-truth. <laughs> yeah. 
And so I think it, it, we might see better reporting. As I said, it's going to be good for opposition. Most people, I think, the, I, I think uh, there's going to be more political activism. I think the Democratic Party, I just hope it doesn't blow up. And, you know, if they, if they stick to the old way, they're going to blow it up. And then you're going to make it easier for Republicans. You don't want to split right now. Isn't that terrible? Um, you, you, you don't smell a whiff of fascism right now? What do you mean, whiff? Uh, when you attack the press the way they are attacking, I just don't know if there's the the. Well, I'm, sorry, I'm trying to reconcile what you you saying. Oh, I don't know if it might not be that bad. I mean, I get it. It's responsible to say you don't know what's going to happen yet. Well, but, but 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 I'm saying also this. But I mean, this is he overtly has but, but, a pretty authoritarian fascist. But no, he's his attack, attack on the press is straight out of of, of you know it's, uh, national socialism. But uh, do I think he knows that? Do I think he knows the history? No, I don't think so. I don't think he knows. You know, he's not dumb. He's not a dumb man, but I don't think he's at all interested in learning anything. It's not clear he's learned anything since he in, since he's even been. I mean, this, the 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 speech he gave uh, at the inauguration was was bereft of any sign. It was a, it was lame. It was it was not. It was a, it was. And the the words, you know, we're talking about a seventh, eighth grade level here. I mean, you know, plain words. No, that's okay. Yeah. Plain words. Lincoln used plain words. Yeah, yeah. Lincoln was very, you know, you didn't, you didn't get him, you didn't get him into a. Sophistic- but this business of immediately we take off the women's page, the LBGTQ page, the climate page, we shut down the Interior Department, shut down but, these know, Twitter accounts. Know, <sighs> Jeremy, let's let it happen. That's all I can say. <laughs> I, I'm trying to not let it happen. But, but no, but you yeah. can't stop it. But let's just see. That's all I say. Let's just see. But who's whose ear? Who who do you think has his ear? Steve Bannon, uh, Flynn, Mattis. I mean, no. Well, I'll tell you one person who doesn't. It's the chief of staff. I mean, he he's not going to know what's going on. But that's probably not so unusual. Look, I, I'm just not ready to say. Um, um, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say. You know, the roof is. You know, the, I'm not. You know, I'm not crying yet. I'm not going. To, I, I do know. The big worry would be surveillance for me, not personally because I don't, you know, I'm, 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 I do what who? I do. Surveillance of who? Surveillance of just general increase, dramatic increase in domestic surveillance, a dramatic increase, and continuing to single out um, Muslims, which is crazy, and continuing to talk about a war. I just, I, I, I just, I just want to see what happens. Don't start letting your your worry about tomorrow affect what you write today. That's all. It's, you know. You know, so you, you know, there's a lot out there. So I think the, the alternative media's are going to have a, a a little bit of of a wave and be more important in the next in the next in the next three four years because I just don't think the major papers are up to it. I just don't see. I didn't see it. I didn't see what they did. The way they behaved on the Russian stuff was outrageous. They all just ran for briefings, and they they all, I'm talking about in the news pages, and they really were. And, and Trump absolutely. I'm sorry to tell you, he has a case. They were just so willing to believe stuff. And instead of when the, when the, the heads of intelligence give them that two-page summary of the stuff that, um, that the, the allegations, instead of attacking the CIA for doing that, which is what I would have done, my story is, are you kidding me? They're taking it to a, a guy who's going to be president in a couple of days. They're giving him this kind of stuff, and they think, they think that this is somehow going to make the world better. It's going to make him go nuts would make me go nuts. So I, I look at it that way. You know, maybe it isn't that hard to make them go nuts. You know, that's- but, but this is sort of what I was talking about earlier. It's that there's this, there was this incredible, uh, it's almost like sea monkeys, you know, those things you put them in as powder and then they turn into these little things. 
it's like all of a sudden CIA is the greatest thing in the world, and 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 how dare you question the pronouncements of the CIA? This is coming from the Democrats, from MSNBC. It's like you know, all of a sudden, there was no Iraq War. There's no lying. There's no history of the CIA. It's just. These are our brave spies that are keeping and, us and, safe from Russia. And I would have made me, I, I would have made Brennan into a buffoon, a, a yapping buffoon <laughs> in the last few days. Instead, they, everything is reported seriously. So there's a lot of, you know, it's not so easy. You know, I mean, you know, you, you, got, a, you got a hothead as president who doesn't think through. And so I, let's just see, you know, I, I, I agree with you. I, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you about the need. I just think from your point of view, and I know this, this, this is what we're talking about. You know, this is all manna. It just means that, you know, you guys have to do more of it. And more people will pay attention to you and more people will take it seriously. All right, listen, we've been doing this for three all right. days. All right, well, uh, you know, have fun moving back to Russia. <laughs> Thanks, Sai. Goodbye. That was the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Sai Hirsch. We were talking in the kitchen of his home in Washington, D.C., Uh, Before we end the show today, I wanted to share with you some spoken word uh, from my friend, the hip-hop artist Felipe Andres Coronel, also known as Immortal Technique. So check, it goes like this. Imagine the word of God without religious groupies. Imagine the savior born in a Mexican hoopty, persecuted single mother in a modern manger. You'd crucify him again like a fucking stranger. Tears of the anger worth more than diamonds and rubies. Imagine being locked up since juvie. Imagine changing your life is still going out like Tukey. Imagine people talking shit when they never knew me. Imagine a movie that depicted the pain in your life like them kids in Afghanistan chasing a kite. For most of the world, that's what it's like. Imagine if the person you're supposed to love for the rest of your life is set to marry someone else at the end of the night. They say you fight the greatest jihad in your heart and your mind and fight the hardest when you start from behind. So I dream the impossible all the time. Fuck a Masonic design. America's future is mine. Repeat that to yourself. Because if our culture's a crime, them numbers tatted on your arm aren't too far behind. They can only conquer you after they murder your mind. So rise up, motherfucker, like the sign of the times. I feel my body weakening, but my spirit is fine, ready to go to war with devils at the drop of a dime, and fight with my rebel army until the stars are aligned, cause Nostradamus was a white man's prophet who predicated European supremacist logic, because the pilgrims and the conquistador columns killed more innocent people than Hitler and Stalin, so I guess the fortune teller skipped an antichrist or two, brother give this to the OGs doing life with you, and pray for the problems with the Pope's psychology, so the Vatican will offer an apology, for what? For destroying the people's liberty? theology, snatching the spirit of Jesus from people in poverty, business decisions like keeping people in prison but had the opposite effect incarcerating religion, that type of crooked politics exposed on a populace is obvious if you read the Northwood documents, but forget the compliments for what I recorded and live for revolution instead of always dying for it. Thank you very much. the words of Immortal Technique. That does it for episode one of Intercepted. Please tell your friends, your family, your colleagues, and well, even your enemies to subscribe to the show. Visit theintercept.com slash podcast to find out more. Intercepted is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept, and it's distributed by Panoply. Our producer is Jack Desidoro, and our executive producer is Lital Molad. Rick Kwan mixed the show. Our music was composed by the great DJ Spooky. Until next week, 
I'm Jeremy Scahill. Just say thanks. Yeah, you just can't All right. do it. I know. I just, can't. Just I, say I'm thanks. Just, just say the word thanks. My voice okay, Glenn, so you're... Okay, okay. Here, Glenn, let's, ready? Let's, wait, Glenn, let's... No, let's, I'm, wait, I'm Glenn, ready. I'm ready. Glenn, let's try it like this. Glenn, you are so handsome. Thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 